Bibles to Romans chapter. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. It's been called the greatest chapter of the greatest book with the greatest hope and the greatest joy. I'm talking about the Bible being the book. I'm talking about Romans 8 being the chapter. And talking about the greatest hope, you can see that in Romans 8 and verse 24, that we have a saving hope. And this chapter really talks about joy because of the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. This chapter, Romans 8.1, begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. Romans 8.37-39. What a chapter. We'll come back to Romans 8, but open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and notice verses 19 and 20. The people of God are about to go into the promised land. And Moses says to them, choose life. Choose life. And then he goes on to talk about loving the Lord your God and obeying his voice. He goes on to talk about standing fast or holding fast to his will and ways. For he is your life. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20 might well be a good passage to put in your Bible in front of Romans 8. Because they were talking about going from bondage and wandering into life in God, the promised land in Deuteronomy 30. But what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 is our having gone from the realm of sin and death to life and great assurance in Romans 8. 39 verses in Romans chapter 8, and I want you to know that God is mentioned no fewer than 75 times. 75 times in one chapter in our Bible. The Father, the Son, or the Spirit are mentioned. This chapter is full of God and what He has done. Salvation really is a Trinitarian matter. God has acted so that we could be saved and be with Him forever. 
Now, looking at this section, let me give you a very easy way to remember what Romans 8 is about. Romans 8, 1 through 17. The word to remember is the word life. Life, L-I-F-E. God has given us physical life and it is God who makes possible eternal life. When you read this section, Romans 8, 1 through 17, the word life is repeated and the word death or condemnation is found a number of times. That's Romans 8, 1 through 17. Secondly, Romans 8, 18 through 30. The word to remember is glory. This section begins with glory in Romans 8.18. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And it concludes with glory. Those that he justified, he glorified. Verse 30. Now, verses 31 through 39, the third major section. Assurance is the word to remember. Assurance. That if God be for us, who can be against us? And that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The only way a child of God will lack assurance is when they choose to lack the assurance that's found in God and His will. Now think about that. God is life and He gives us eternal life in Christ. God is glorious and He gives us eternal glory with Him in Christ. And God is assuring and He has assured us of salvation if we hold to His unchanging hand. God is ever faithful to do what He promises. There is so much in this chapter that just should rivet Our attention should captivate our thinking. But now let me focus a little more on Romans 8, 1 through 17. And then we're going to get to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, all right? But when we look at Romans 8, 1 through 17, it's important to see what Paul is saying. Let me break the section down. Look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8. Here is what he's saying. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus and who walk according to the Spirit. That's verse 4 and verse 1. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and who walk according to the Spirit. What follows then is if one is not in Christ and one does not walk according to the Spirit, one can stand condemned. Verses 5 through 8. 
5 through 8 deal with two diametrically opposed ways of thinking. Two diametrically opposed mindsets. And we'll see that more. You know, they just don't mix. These two diametrically opposed mindsets in verses 5 through 8 of Romans 8 are called the flesh and the spirit. And if that sounds kind of like Galatians 5 to you and the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, that's understandable. Now look at verses 9 through 11. There's two diametrically opposed ways of thinking. One results in death and the other results in life. That's the point of verses 5 through 8. Now look at verses 9 through 11. 9 through 11. God's people are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is in us. God's people are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is in us. Verses 9 through 11. Then you get to verses 12 through 13. And to really follow Paul's thinking here is just amazing because it's mind-boggling how much he has to say about the relationship that we can have with God due to Jesus. Verses 12 and 13 is an exhortation. You may have the expression debtor in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 8. Many do in their translations. There's a responsibility. There's a responsibility of living if we are in Christ and walk according to the Spirit. That we first of all live in the Spirit. And that secondly we put to death... The deeds of the flesh. That we live in the Spirit and that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Everybody able to follow right along in your Bible? It's there, right? So far, so good. Verses 14 through 17. And this last, this is just the first of three big blocks of Life and glory and assurance. But notice verses 14 through 17. Verses 14 through 17 talk about our status as children. And really it builds even more on that no condemnation, walk according to the Spirit statement of Romans 8, 1 through 4. And it concludes by telling us that we are heirs of God, heirs together with Christ. Wow. What a section. 
now I've kind of taken my binoculars out and we've flown over Romans chapter 8. Then I got my magnifying glass out with you and we looked at Romans 8, 1 through 17. But now what I want to do is get the microscope out and look at verses 5 through 11. So really focus on these verses with me. And if you listened well you'll notice that verses 5 through 8 deal with two mindsets, two ways of thinking, two worldviews. The worldview of the flesh, the worldview of the spirit. And the two are contrasted. They couldn't be any more different. Notice what is said about the mindset or lifestyle or worldview of the flesh. Notice the passage, verse 5. Those who are of the flesh set their minds on the flesh. Mark that expression. It's what they think about. It's what they talk about. It's what grabs their attention. Paul would speak of those who mind earthly things. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. He would speak of Timothy as one concerning whom I have no one like-minded who is able to minister to your state. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. Paul is making a very simple but profound contrast. People couldn't be any more different. The saved and the lost. Because the lost set their mind on the flesh. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, the glory, the vainglory of life. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 18. Notice how he describes those of the flesh secondly. Same section, but verse 6. Death is their present state and their future state unless they turn to Jesus. Notice Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 and what it says. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Condemnation. The whole idea is if you sin, you die. Romans 6.23, and there is this sense of physical death, but yes, unless something is done about sin, eternal death is involved. Let's consider this way of thinking. I suspect some of us know people that all they can think about is worldly, ungodly things. That's where they're tuned in. They are constantly in tune 
with things that are sinful and ungodly, things for which the Son of God died. Those are the things that they find pleasure in and talk about and want to live by. That brings me to the next verse, verse 7. Their mind is hostile to God. You talk about conflict and antagonism, their minds are hostile to God. And what that means, Will, is if God is for it, we're against it. And if God is against it, we're for it. There is this sense of hostility as it concerns the flesh as opposed to the spirit. Hostile. Some people run to Romans 8 here in verse 7 and 8 to try to teach total depravity. That we were born in sin and if we're one of those people born in sin, we must be predestined unconditionally to be saved or lost, stamped as saved or lost by God himself at the beginning of time and there's not anything we can do about it. Not true. And Romans 8, 7 and 8 do not teach it. Here's why. We have at least two fellows sitting in, in this assembly that had heart procedures done in the last week. One had a heart ablation. The other had a stent put in and balloon surgery. Both of them are here. What if neither one of those brothers did anything about their heart issues, which were quite serious? One causing his heart to go into AFib and he had a heartbeat like a hummingbird sometimes. And the other having significant blockage on an artery known as the widow maker. <laughs> eh, not going to do anything about it. It is one thing... to know that you have heart issues and it's another thing to do something about it. And the point is, there is such a sense of hostility to God and to the things of God here in Romans 8 that it's not that they're incapable of embracing the gospel, it's that they absolutely refuse to go see the great physician to get their heart taken care of. Here I stop. I'm glad that Ryder mentioned Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 in the Lord's Supper meditation. That passage deals specifically with a new covenant. I'd encourage you to write that right here by Romans 8. A new covenant where all will know me from the least to the greatest. Their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. The passage is referred to by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13.
But there's another Old Testament passage to consider. And I hope you'll write it right here at the beginning of Romans 8 too. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It's not as well known for whatever reason as Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. But it is just as important. If Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 deals with a new covenant... Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 deal with a new heart, a new spirit. My spirit will I put into them. And Paul is explaining that in Romans chapter 8. A new heart, a new spirit. My spirit will I put in them. It astounds me that any time the Holy Spirit comes up, some brethren get antsy. But what I want to say, they get uncomfortable. You cannot read Romans chapter 8 without having to deal with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit never acts in any way that contradicts God's Word and always in conjunction with the Word. But we need to accept at face value what Scripture says and quit trying to talk our way around it. That brings me to another aspect of the flesh here. Look at verse 7. They do not submit to God's law. People in the flesh won't... uh Uh-uh! I'm not going to do it. Stubborn and obstinate. And then notice verse 8. They cannot please God. See previous four items I just mentioned from verses 5 through 7. They cannot please God in this condition. And so Paul is really saying these are people who are condemned. They are not in Christ. They're walking according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. And he is pleading with Christians to think about that as it concerns those outside of Jesus. And to understand the importance of walking according to the Spirit as God's people. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. However, if one walks according to the flesh after coming to Christ and not after the Spirit, one can lose something very precious. If not, why not? God put both of these together. And people who understand repentance and baptism in Acts 2.38, belief in baptism in Mark 16.16, ought to also appreciate being in Christ and walking in accordance with the Spirit in Romans 8. If not, why not? Now let's move on and look at the Spirit. And look at the Spirit... Here's the contrast, verse 5. 
Those that love God and have come to Jesus and embraced His gospel have their minds set on the Spirit. In other words, I don't want to live the way I lived before I came to Christ. That's death and condemnation and sin. It's not life and glory and assuring. Secondly, our present state and eternal destiny are described in chapter 8, verse 6. Those who are in the Spirit have their present and eternal destiny if they hold on to Jesus, described with two expressions. What are they? Life, peace. Our life and peace begins when our sins are washed away at baptism. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Our peace. We have peace with God. One of the things you got to appreciate about Romans 8 is that many of the themes Paul had brought up in Romans 5 are simply expanded and repeated in Romans 8. Peace with God, Romans 5, 1 and 2. My peace give I to you, not as the world knows give I to you, Jesus said, John 14, 27. A peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Great peace have they that love your law, Psalm 119, 165. And we can see in this passage... The contrast is between death and life. It's a life and death matter. Things couldn't be more different, farther apart. The flesh and the spirit. Again. Romans 8 and 9 says we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I-N-D-W-E-L-T, indwelt. As a matter of fact, verses 9 through 11 refer to that about four times, dwelled, indwelling, indwelling, dwelt in, dwells in you. In verses 9 through 11 of chapter 8, our spirits are made alive by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, through the work of Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, Think about the word dwelling. In the original language, it is the word from which we get house. It's not a, it, it's not a motel room. It's not a bed and breakfast. The passage tells us that the Spirit makes His home 
in us. Well, how do you know that, Mike? I'm glad to tell you. Thank you for asking. I know it because the Bible tells me to. It tells me so. Let me ask you this question. How do you know you have a soul? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen it? Anybody here ever seen their soul? Of course not. We believe we have a soul because God has informed us of that in His Word. And I believe the Spirit indwells me because of that same promise. It's enough. And again, he's not acting in any way contradictory from God's word, but in conjunction with his word, I accept that promise. Now here's something to think about. How does sin dwell in you? Before coming to to Jesus, did sin just dwell in you metaphorically? Symbolically? Is that how sin indwelt us? Is that how death was in us at that time? I happen to think, no way! And now, we've gone from sin to life and the Spirit dwells in us. Is that real? Is it just metaphorical? I think it's as real and true as any promise of God, including the forgiveness of sin in Acts 2.38, which is related to baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, follow me just a bit more. Let's look at 9 through 11. 9 through 11. Notice how the Holy Spirit is termed in several verses in Romans 8. First of all, notice Romans 8, 2. The Spirit is called the Spirit of what? In Romans 8, 2. What's that, Bob? Life. He gives life. He's God. Notice Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. The Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God. Do you see it? You see it? Everybody? That means that the Holy Spirit is perfectly and fully God. He is just as much God as the Father. He is as just much as God as the Son. He is God. The same section in verses 9 through 11 refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. How in harmony with the words of Christ that is. John 14 through 17 The Holy Spirit glorifies and honors Jesus and what He did. Just as Jesus glorifies and honors the Father by what He did. 
And together, as the people of God, we should honor God and what God has done, Father, Son, and Spirit, so we could be His forever. The Spirit of Christ. Now look at Romans 8.15. Y'all having fun? I'm just about to start having fun today. Romans 8.15 calls the Spirit, the Spirit of what? Of what? Adoption. You see it? The Spirit of Adoption. The Spirit guarantees our inheritance because of Jesus. He is a guarantee of our inheritance because of Christ. I want you to look at verses 9 through 11. And you will find the word you or yours six times. You or yours, six times, just in verses 9 through 11. And what I want you to know, Christian friend, is God is talking through the Apostle Paul to you as a Christian. To you. Two thoughts as we wrap this morning lesson up. How in the world does the Holy Spirit make His home in us while we still struggle with sin? Any Christian here not still struggle with sin? How does the Holy Spirit do that? Can I ask a question? How did Jesus do that? Because in His incarnation, He came down and dwelt among us and with us and yet was completely separate from sin. Hebrews 7.26 I'm going to put it this way. This passage, Romans 8, says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our struggle against temptation and sin. He doesn't do something to us miraculously, but He helps us in our struggle against temptation and sin. Well, does that mean that the Holy Spirit and sin are roommates? Nope. Any more than Jesus coming down meant that Jesus and sin were roommates. If you want to help deal with the issue of the condemnation of sin and walking according to the Spirit, Romans 8, 1 through 4, you have to remember that Jesus came down and lived among us. And you have to also remember that the Spirit helps us with temptation and sin. I don't have to know every specific how of that to appreciate the fact that God does it. You know what? 
If you want to deal with sin and provide healing, you've got to go where the sin is, don't you? And Jesus came where the sin was. And the Holy Spirit came and indwells us as, as Christians in some non-miraculous way. I understand that. But He does help us with our struggles against sin. And I'm glad. Romans 8 tells us very plainly that it is through Christ that the penalty of sin is removed. No condemnation. But I still have to deal with the problem of sin. And so do you. Even as Christians, there is not a Christian who does not struggle with the problem of sin. And what God says in Romans 8 is, I sent my son to die for your sin. And I've sent my spirit to you to help you in your struggle against sin. It's a problem. And I want you to know, he says, that even that problem has been taken care of. By Jesus. But here's the thing to really keep in mind. Romans 8 is really talking about the time when we will be rescued from the presence of sin. When we will be with God forever. The penalty of sin has been crushed and we can have life and glory and assurance. The power of sin is being dealt with by God through what He's done in Jesus and in the gift of the Spirit. We can have a sense of glory and assurance in life now. But one day, one day, we will be eternally saved from the presence of sin. I don't believe there's anything in the world to compare that to. It's more precious than all of the gold in all of the world to know we will be saved from the presence of sin. What I've had to live around and often hated and too often practiced. The time comes when sin will be no more. That's blessed assurance. If you are not in Christ, come to Him this day through faith and repentance and baptism. Respond to the blood of Jesus at the cross. And if you are a Christian, this chapter is for you. Think about your blessings. Think about all that God has done, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that we could be with Him forever. And I don't want to allow anyone or anything to keep me from enjoying a time when we can be away from the presence of sin forever. Let us stand and sing.